You know, I'm really, uh, been in this series, we talked about remember, we talked about the gospel being that um, King Jesus, he's here. That's what he spoke as the gospel. The king, the one you've been waiting for, is here. And with all it comes with under his rule, which is forgiveness, mercy, grace, all these things. And then last week we spoke about, oh, I'm glad one person got it. <laughs> did, did no one else know that? Wow, okay, um, so remember, joy. How many chose joy this week? Yeah, okay, great. Um, so, you know, this week we're going to look at one other thing that we've been teaching and, and we've been looking at, and then we looked at this, this fall, and it was on a series which we call Work Matters. Your work matters. No matter what you do, your work matters. And I, I want to define that in a sense that we will be talking specifically at times about your work that you might have, your job that pays you, but I want you to broaden that. Some of you go, you know what, I'm not in the workforce anymore, I'm retired, or I'm in a place where maybe you are a parent, a, a stay-at-home parent, and, and I want you to recognize that's your mission field, that's your work, or you're called to do some things right now in your life, you're in a position to maybe to, to do other things that are not just necessarily work-related. I want you to think in those terms, and I want you to remember as we talk about this that your work matters. It is your mission field. Okay? And, and I want to ask you a question. Do you switch God off at work? Do you switch God off at work? Now, that might be a little harsh, because I don't think people just have, like, you know, this kind of on-off switch. Sometimes it's more like a rheostat, right? You know, like, you know, can either turn it up or turn it down. But when you leave on a Sunday and you go through the rest of your week and you begin to enter into what your, is your mission field, do you kind of pull that thing back a little bit? Maybe not purposely, intentionally. It could be if you're busy, you just don't, whatever. There was a quiz that I found on a, in a website. It's called worklife.org. And I, I would encourage you to, to look at that. It's, it, it's got some great stuff around work. It can encourage you in that way. But they give this quiz, and they start out, it's this continuum on zero to ten. And they say, um, listen to these statements and answer hardly ever, or in the middle, sometimes, or on the other side, almost always. Hardly ever, sometimes, almost always. So, for instance, my character and work values make God look good to coworkers. Hardly ever, sometimes, almost always. Now, I'm going to go through these kind of quickly, and for some of you who like to process longer, tough. You're going to have to just follow. <laughs> Because I want you to think, because I want you to kind of just answer in your head as quick as you can, okay? These are not like a pass-fail things. We're not going to, you know, kick you out of here if you don't get them right. But anyway, because you can't get them right or wrong. I manage stress by getting away and resting from my work on a regular basis. Hardly ever, sometimes, always. I value my relationship and influence for Jesus more than my position and pay. Hardly ever, sometimes, Always. I maintain fa family and faith priorities even during my hectic work schedule. I handle difficult people and situations at work with love, patience, and wisdom. Hardly ever, sometimes, almost always. I'm good at what I do at work and people trust me. I recognize that my work has importance beyond my present life on earth. I talk about Jesus in a clear and natural way when I'm at work. My coworkers and customers respect me as a person, hardly ever, sometimes, almost always. I graciously receive criticism. Well, that one we're okay. Okay, no, I graciously receive criticism, resolve conflicts and conflicts and avoid gossiping about others. Hardly ever, sometimes, almost always. I set and follow clear boundaries so my work 
doesn't hurt other parts of my life. I keep God top of my mind at work when I make decisions and interact with people. I keep promises and tell the truth at work, avoiding white lies, hype, and spin. Hardly ever, sometimes always. I love explaining to people why Jesus is the center of my life and work. I see my work as an opportunity to serve God and those around me. I treat tough times at work as an opportunity for personal growth and serving others. I look for appropriate opportunity to discuss faith and belief with others. And I'm talking with and hearing God before making most work decisions, hardly ever, sometimes, almost always. Those questions and those statements come from worklife.org. A lot of helps on that. I encourage you to even write it down and look at it. Research shows that 50% of employees are late to work on Mondays. Now, I, how many of you, Monday is your favorite day of the week? Okay, you're right in line with everybody else. Statistics across the board, Monday is one of the least favorite days of the week for most everyone. Research shows, catch this, that productivity is around 30% on Mondays. And most of us don't even smile until about 11.16 a.m. on this dreaded day. So I want you to go the next day and, you know, you know, there are some people who are positivity kind of people. They wake up and they're smiling. You kind of go, get out of my face, right? But most people, I mean, they, they didn't say 11.15 or 11 o'clock. They said 11.16. So watch for that clock. Worse yet, here, catch this. Most heart attacks and suicides happen on Mondays more than any other workday. Research shows that churchgoers, 89% disengage from their faith on Monday. Millions of Christians look great on Sunday, then on Monday it comes along and they switch God off. Or they take the rheostat back and go, Sunday was devoted to you, God. Monday, I got to work. One writer in this movement called Made to Flourish, because they're, they're beginning to think, and I really believe this is true, there are a couple major networks. If you want to use a net to catch things, in the, in, so if the church is actually going to have an influence in our world, one of the places where people spend the bulk of their time, which may be at work, and the other place is what usually when parents are raising children around the school, like sidelines and bleachers and things like that. There's two places, and one of them is work. And so this author, Made to Flourish, with this whole work movement now, <clears throat> And faith writes, when Monday hits, we're practically, in practicality sake, we're atheists. This really is undermining God's purposes for our work in our lives. Mondays are hurting workers and families and churches and businesses alike. It's time for a Monday switch. And then again, that worklife.org, this is where I got some of that, is, is, is what they have, and I'll encourage us, is kind of a, a Monday switch package. Something you can do that can make a difference, we'll talk about it in a moment. But he goes, There's, it, it, it's time for a Monday switch, a switch to God's way of working. Imagine yourself, your church, your business, switching God on at work, or, or maybe going up a bit on the, on the rest of it, in ways you have never imagined, living at work with more purpose, more peace, and more power. 
Jesus said these words to people who would be interested in him. In fact, the way he knew people were interested in him is because he was an itinerant preacher. We forget it. He didn't have a church that he preached at every Sunday. He would go from place to place, and he would often preach similar messages. And so he'd go to one place, and he would preach here, and then he'd go maybe to the next village, and he'd preach here. There would be some people who would follow him from village to village, and he would look out, and he'd see them, and he'd see their eyes, and he would see their connecting. And every once in a while, he'd look at a few, and he'd point them out, and he'd say, you know, follow me. And scripture tells us that they did this. They left everything and, and followed him. What does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it mean for us to remember this truth that I want you to remember, that your work, whatever you do, after we leave on Sunday is your mission field? Remember, we were talking about this, and if you look at the little thing that we use, the image, we have this finger with a string around it. We've always been talking about Tie this truth like a string around your finger and remember your work, whatever you do, when you leave here, is your mission field. So that's what we're going to consider this morning. And I want to do it by looking at the calling of Levi. He's later named Matthew, but in Matthew's gospel, Matthew doesn't refer to himself ever in his gospel of Matthew as Levi. I think he, when he got his name changed, he was going like, I don't want to be called by that old life name any longer. And so as you read it, it says, as Jesus, on verse 9 of chapter 9 of Matthew, as Jesus went on from there, so he was moving from place to place teaching, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Now, now understand, tax collector's booth, um, you, you didn't go like to the tax collector's office. They were usually kind of like even like tolls, you want to look at it that way. There'd be these major roads and these major roads where people would travel along from, from one place in Asia or other places in Europe, and they'd come along, and they'd go through, and you'd have to go through Israel, and Israel was one of the main thoroughfares, so they would go through there to get to Egypt or to get to some other place, and they would go through there, and you would have a booth there, and you would collect taxes on the things that people were moving and taking through there. And so he's sitting at the tax collector's booth, and Matthew writes, follow me, Jesus told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. And while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, there's a little gap in here because Matthew threw this party, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with the tax collectors and sinners? And on hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. Quoting the Old Testament, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Go chew on that and study that. You've asked me this question, go, go and study that. For I have not come, I have not come to call the righteous but sinners. So what I want to do in this time is take this passage of scripture and, and, and ask some questions, and hopefully we'll get through all four of them, but I want to go through these questions and ask you to consider something about your mission field what you do when you leave this building on a Sunday through the rest of the week. Because remember, your work, whatever you do, it matters. And your work is your mission field. There's got to be a paradigm shift in here. And so the first question is, are you living missionally? Now that's not a word in the dictionary. I made it up. If I wanted to be, I could say, live in a missional way. But following Jesus, when we kind of begin to look at this, means living missionally. And to remember, your work is your mission field. 
Verse 9 says, as we went, Jesus went on from there. He saw a man named Matthew sitting in a tax collector's booth. And he used these words, follow me. And he told Matthew this. And Matthew got up and he went and followed him. And I want you to note, if you look in your Bible, if some of you have your Bibles, there's a, there's a footnote or maybe in the margin, some might have it. It says, Matthew sitting in his tax collector's booth. And it was a Monday. No, it doesn't say that. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, it just goes right to follow me. Anyway, um, probably it was a work day though. That's why he was at his booth. And the words follow me is, is really clear. He's basically saying this is not a Sunday thing. This is a whole life endeavor. It's a 24-7 commitment that you're making. When I say follow me, it means to pattern your life in every way. So as you think and what you do and the way that you live is following me. There was no sense when he would call someone to follow him of compartmentalization. In fact, the guy said, you know, let me go back and do this. He said, then you're not really going to follow me. There, there, was, there was no idea, you know, we have a lot, you hear the work-life balance? Following and, and finding work-life balance meant living all of life through the simple command, follow me, which if you do that, will provide work-life balance. If you open your heart and say, Jesus, I want to follow you with my whole life. I want to get to know you. I want to understand you. I want to understand your word. I want to understand what it means to live like you. And I want to, to in every way, be like you. You will begin to start seeing that he has priorities. You'll watch his own life. He would take time to get away and and find work-life balance. Because if you follow God's word and you follow Jesus, you will then hear the spirit and you'll begin to train yourself to say, God, when I leave here on a Sunday, I've come here to worship you, tell you I love you. I've come to learn. But when I leave here, I'm going to follow you. And it's a 24-7 thing. And teaching in the way of Jesus was not just Sunday, but it was Monday through Friday and Saturday, depending on your work week. And at night or on the dinner table while sitting in the bleachers or standing in the sidelines at your kids' athletic events, it's at Lifetime or Lunds or the gas station or the movie theater. It's even as you do this every day, every moment, every hour of your life. Even when you fall asleep, you know, you follow Jesus. You're probably wondering, how do you do that? Here's how you follow Jesus. You go to sleep, you put your head on your pillow and say, Jesus, I got all kinds of things running my mind, all kinds of concerns, but I'm going to give it to you. Because you will be able to handle this. I'm going to follow you, even as I fall asleep. Now, that's not easy. I even had one of those restless nights last night. Got up and read. But it's learning how to follow him in all ways. It's about being an influence all day, every day, everywhere you go. There's an interesting passage of scripture in Joshua chapter 1, verses 3 and 5. Joshua is ready to take the reins of leadership. And so Moses is handing it over to him. And God says to him at one point, here's Joshua what I want you to understand. Just like with Moses, he says, I will give you every place where you set your foot. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. It's this wonderful verse that you go where you... Just imagine, I am with you everywhere you step. I am present with you. That's following Jesus. And if you go to the end of Matthew, chapter 28, there's another time where, now Jesus is giving the reins of leadership over to his disciples. And he says something very similar. He looks at them and he says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. And as you go throughout your life, every day, make followers of me. Connect people to me and help them understand me more. And surely, he says, here's the guarantee. I will be with you always, everywhere, everywhere you place your foot. If you live in that sense where I'm going to consciously be aware that all throughout my life, you are with me. 
And my life is to be used and given over to you. There's a practical step um, in, in this work-life challenge, and, and, and I'd love for you to look at that worklife.org. Um, it's called the Six Monday Challenge, and they say for only six Mondays, take the Monday Challenge with God. Watch your Mondays change. The Monday Switch Kit guides you through each week. And so I just want to challenge some of you. You might be going, okay, I really would like to learn how to change and transform the way that I operate on Mondays. I encourage you to just take a look at that and see if that's possible. Invite some other people to it. But you know what I said last week? I said, you know, one of the things you can do to intentionally start your day so that you begin to live with joy is to, is to repeat just a verse. When you get up in the morning before your feet hit the floor or when your heat feet hit the floor, you just say this verse you find in Psalm 118 that says, this is the day the Lord has made. Yeah, you guys got it. I mean, I write that in my journal. One of the first things I write when I start is today, I, I say in all kinds of different ways, today, you made this day, there's all kinds of opportunities. God, I'm going I'm to choose joy, and I'm going to be glad. I'm going to be happy. I'm going to look for whatever happens. I'm going to be glad in it. means throughout it, whether it's good or bad, I'm going to do that. And, and one of the things you can do, if you really want to do this, where you say, God, this Monday, I'm going to have you begin to start helping me understand that my work is my mission field. You can stop, and instead of, you know, before you see your boss at work or any coworkers, before you even go to work, you can meet with the guy who really owns the place. God. And you can say, God, today, I'm going to not only choose joy, but I'm going to be conscious and aware of your presence throughout the day. I'm going to take time. When I'm on a coffee break, I'll just pray briefly to remind myself. Or when I go to lunch, I'm going to just pray and say, today, God, I'm just looking at today. I'm not going to compartmentalize my life. I'm going to live 24-7 in a missional way for you. Because remember, your work is your mission field. So here's the second question. Is your life attractive? Why don't you really ask yourself, because more important than the things you're going to say, here's one of the problems when we start thinking about sharing our faith. We think, oh, I've got to go, and I've got to try and win everybody over to the Lord. I've got to try and, you know, I'm going to be one of those obnoxious believers. Uh-uh. It's not about how many times you can say things. It's about how you behave. And as you behave, and the way that people see you respond, and they see your character, and they see your life, your very life will ask them for the hope that's in you. You will have opportunities because they will begin to start looking at your life. But my question is this, is your life attractive? And I'm not talking about your paycheck or your title. I'm not talking about anything external. By this, I mean, is your behavior, the life that you're living, the character that's being evidenced, something that someone else wants? Now, this is a tough question, right? Is, is your life evidencing joy? Do they experience a compassionate person? Are you kind? Are you willing to... Love that person, but share the truth when you need to share the truth. Protecting, making it safe, but sharing the truth. Are you dependable? Is your life, is your behavior, is your character growing in Christ? Is it attractive? Because none of us are any perfect. We're not asking for perfection. More important is this, that you're humble, loving, and growing, so that when you actually, here's something that really blows people away. You ever done something where you treated them bad, or you've hurt someone, and you just come back, and you actually say, hey, I, I messed up. I really need forgiveness. 
that's as powerful as anything. Is your life attractive? There's a backstory to this, this calling of Matthew, and I don't think we really get it. We get this picture that Jesus was, you know, he pulled up in his SUV one day to the toll booth. Work with me, you know, let's just pretend, okay? And, and, and he pulls up, and, and all of a sudden he looks at Matthew. First time, sees Matthew, and he goes, Levi. He sees Levi, he goes, Levi, leave it all, because he liked puns. But leave it all, Levi, and follow me. I don't think that had happened that way. I think what happened was Jesus would be teaching in these different places. I think Jesus even taught the Sermon on the Mount, and it was a good possibility that, that Levi was there in the crowd. And, and Jesus being perceptive, praying. We get this idea that, that Jesus, when he prayed um, for the 12 that he was going to choose, that he kind of went up on the mountain, and then he came down, and it's like tryout. Anybody ever gone, to, like, gone through tryouts where you're like a baseball, football, or some kind of tryout? Okay, well, what usually happens is you try out and they kind of go, yeah, this, this, this. And, and, and we look sometimes like Jesus was going through tryouts. And, and then one day he got done praying and God kind of reviewed to him. His father said, these are the guys, here's the 12, go down there. And, and Jesus is going down going, I can't believe you really want Judas? Yep, that's the guy. And he gets down there and all of a sudden he kind of holds out like you, you in tryout. I remember in ninth grade playing, going for baseball, trying out, and, and we had a huge school. And so it was very unlikely to make the team. And, and I'm looking up there and there's, there's um, Madison and Metzger. And I'm looking, where's Meyer? Because it goes right to Miller. And I remember walking away going, I didn't, you know, oh man. And feel just crushed. And we get this picture that Jesus was standing there and going, yeah, Peter, Andrew, um, uh, yeah, Simon, you look pretty good to me. Judas, you've done a good job counting the money. And it was one, probably wasn't like that. Here's kind of more of the picture I think was going on. Jesus' life was so attractive, the character of who he was and the way he was was, was really different than what you would probably experience. You, you would find Matthew going to these places Jesus would see in his eyes, and, and no doubt Matthew went to some of these places because Jesus would go through that booth, and he would, he would pay his taxes. Now you have to understand tax collectors were not wildly popular like our IRS are. Okay? I mean, I, I know when you get a call from the IRS, you're going, yes! No. They were despised, despicable people. In fact, if you read through Scripture, there's a couple of them that, that, that I would encourage you to understand. It says in, in, in this passage of Scripture, while Jesus was having dinner with Ma- at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners. There's two categories here. A little bit later, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Luke 15, 1 through 2. Now the tax collectors and sinners were gathering around and the Pharisees were muttering, this man, he welcomes sinners and he eats with them. What in the world is going on here? You see, tax collectors were so bad they had their own label. They didn't even, the, the sinners didn't even want them in the same label. I, I'm serious, they were that despised. And here's a guy named Levi. Levi taking the name of the first priest who was ever called. Can you imagine how he lived all his life? He obviously didn't measure up. He wasn't like doing the priestly kind of things. He was out, and he finally at some point probably had enough shame. He didn't measure up. Whatever's going on in his own family, some of you have experienced like that before. You could never measure up to dad. Mom never made it. And you just finally kind of said, I'm, forget it. The church has treated me in a such a way. I don't get love. I get judgment. I, get, I don't get mercy. They're just, they're just all trying to, you know, look good. And then so finally, sometimes Levi goes, forget the whole thing. 
And he's not living up to his name. He's living up to everything but what he should be, and he knows it. And here is this Levi, who the rabbis would not even look at. If you were going to a toll booth, he might, and he was the only one. Let's say you could choose another one. He was the only one. They would, they would have their disciples go up because they wouldn't want to be touching him. The rabbis, we're told that the rabbis said if you, if you touch one of them, you are unclean. And here is Jesus. I get this picture of Jesus with his love and his compassion and his character. Pulling up to the toll booth the very first time. And Matthew kind of sees the entourage. Levi's looking at him and he's going, this is incredible. And, and, and Jesus goes, no, 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 let me, your name is? Well, Levi, and he goes, well, he gets to know Levi, greets him, gets to know his name, remembers his name, goes through there a number of different times, starts to get to know his kids, sees him at one of his meetings, goes, Levi! Now, this isn't what Levi would expect. This isn't how you treat sinners, especially tax collectors, because in Rome, what they would do is they, they needed money from the people that they were overseeing. They'd come in, they'd conquer land, they'd go, boy, you know, we're just, we need, if we're going to build Rome, you, you know, you know how it goes. We want, you want these nice roads and a police force and all this other stuff? It's going to cost you some money. And then they would take bids and they would go to an to a area in the highest bidder. They said, we need this much money at least, but the highest bidder would get the bid. Levi won the bid in that area. And they said, great, you collect that much for us. Anything you collect over it is yours. That's why they became so wealthy. Zacchaeus, remember that name? Wee little man. What was the need of his heart? He wanted to be seen. Went up in a tree. If he could just be seen, be noticed. Jesus noticed him, loved him. Levi. He just kind of felt in some way, you know, scrap this whole religious measuring up stuff. I just can't do it. I've already blown it. I'm too far from God. It doesn't matter anymore. So I'm just going to live. I'm going to party. That's why he throws a party. I think he's pretty good at throwing parties. He had a big house. And Jesus goes through. And he loves him. And he treats him differently. Because this is what rabbis do. Jesus, who was the closest person to his Father in heaven, he just even said, I and the Father are one. What's amazing is the people farthest away flocked to Jesus. You get this picture of these people with these wild, immoral lifestyles who are enthralled with the life of Jesus. Isn't it amazing that people who are farthest awake are the ones who want to be closest to him? Because his life demonstrated incredible love and kindness and concern for those who are not connected to God. And so then I ask just a simple question. Because I've been asking myself this because I believe as a church we're at a turn point in our church 
where God is creating some health and he's creating some health within our whole leadership and everything. And I think he's saying now, in unity, I'm gonna pour out into your parts of your people. We're gonna, we're gonna see this Metro West area where God's gonna use us and other churches. I really believe this. In order to bring an influence of his love and his presence to this area. And, I, and honestly, he's, he's asking you, he's asking people in other churches, do you want to be a part of this? And it begins by saying, God, it's not going to be kind of like I'm compartmentalizing my life. I do, you know, I, I, I do the church thing on Sunday, and I, you know, I serve a little bit here once of the week, and, and I, I do prayers before my meals, and, and, and some, you know, just, yeah, I, I make sure I say prayers. I even read a Bible story to my kids. He's not asking for just those little slots. He's saying, I want your life. I want all of you. I want you to be on mission for me. And then I want you not only to be on mission, I don't, I don't need a lot of words. I don't need a lot of people speaking out words. I don't want you to be annoying kind of people at work. I want your behavior to be such that people experience and feel your love. And then there's another question. And it gets forced by this passage of Scripture. Who near you is ready to connect with God? You ever ask that question? If you look at these verses 10 through 13, it's really interesting. Jesus says, while Jesus is having, uh, the scripture has to say, Matthew writes, while Jesus is having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this and asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with these tax collectors and sinners? Why does he associate with them? In fact, not only does he associate with them, but he spends a lot of time with them. In fact, he seems to be the focus of his life. And on hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy you need the doctor, but the sick. But I want you to go learn. I want you to understand, you guys. I'm not looking for all kinds of religious activity. It's not about all the sacrifices. And it's all not about your self-righteousness where you can kind of compare yourself and it's us versus them. And I can just, if we can stay away from them, they're unclean, they're unholy. It's not about that. It's about mercy. It's about people who need to be connected to God. There's people all around you. Who is around you that, that in their heart, you might even not know it, but they want to be connected to God. Who maybe is one ask away, like, like Levi was, from following Jesus? That calls for us to, to engage with Jesus at a different level. And so you get this picture of, 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 of Matthew, and, and Matthew's thinking, gosh, this Jesus guy is so cool. I just so love him. I just would love for my friends to know him. So he starts thinking about the things that he, you know, what could I do? You know, I like throw parties. I got a big house. And you get this picture, and, and you have, we, we, we don't understand living in Minnesota is this. In Minnesota, we live in these little contained boxes, right? And there's a good reason for it, because not many days are like this. But if you go to the Middle East, they had kind of their rooms and they had a kind of inner place. But people who had wealth, they would have this courtyard. And it would, there'd be like a fence around it. And in the courtyard, they would have these parties. And in those parties, they would meet together. So this last summer, I had an opportunity to go to one of these kind of things on Lake Minnetonka, and it was really incredible. And 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 you had it was a ticketed thing, and and uh, there was a couple country bands, and then Stephen Tyler was the last band, and um, and so our elder who held it. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> but I went there, and what was really interesting to me. I walked in, and there's people just lined up on the outside, and I'm feeling pretty like. Yeah. I'm going in. And, and then there were people in the lake, on Lake Minnetonka, who were enjoying a free concert in these boats and all around. And I'm thinking, get your ticket, you guys. 
No, you know, you know what? This is what's going on. The Pharisees are standing around the outside. They're not on the inside. They're standing around the outside. Somehow they call over a disciple. And I don't know whether Jesus overhears or one of the disciples go, we're just too new at this, Rabbi. We don't get it. They got a really tough question. What in the world are you doing is the question, spending all this time with these people. And Jesus says, that's why I came. He says, if you, if you think about it for a second, who are the kind of people who need a doctor? Do the healthy? Think about it. You, 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 the guy who is having chest pain and tightness in his left, left arm versus the person who's sitting there going, I'm feeling great, man, I don't, you know, don't have an ache in my body. Who's going to go see the doctor? Okay, you look confused. Let's not use a guy because guys just don't go see doctors anyway. So, um. <laughs> Jesus is making an incredibly important point, and it should ding us. I, I call it, these are kind of these teachings that kind of, um, they leave a mark kind of teaching. You know what happens? Jesus looks at him and goes, guys, I know you're representing God and you think you're representing God, but if you're really representing God, you'll understand my mission. You would understand that I came, not for the guys who think they're all healthy, but I came for the people who need to be connected to God. So who around you or near you needs to be connected to God? Everybody does, right? Everybody matters to God. But Jesus says there are some people who are more aware of their need than others. Someone, think about it, someone might be just one ask away. And are you even open to it? Are you even courageous enough to say, my life is missional, it's 24-7, this is my life, God, you tell me, I'll do whatever you call me to do, I'm your servant, you're my, you're my real boss, I'm going to just follow you today, and, and I'm going to do it in such a way that I want to grow in my character, I know I'm not perfect, if I blow it, I'm going to ask people for forgiveness, I'm going to show mercy, and I'm going to show grace, and the reason I'm here at work is because, just like you, Jesus came, not for the righteous, I'm here at work because not only want a paycheck, he wants you to get a paycheck, but he also wants you to have eyes for those who are just in their heart, in shame, and they feel lost, and they don't feel they measure up, and in fact, they might even show anger towards you and your God because they've been wounded and hurt, and they need your love more than anyone. And Jesus spent the bulk of his time with those who needed God. And the last question is this. Are you using what you have to reach others? It's really interesting. You read that they left everything. Luke tells us that Levi got up and left everything and followed him. But if you really go on in the verse, it shows us that, that Luke also used his, his wealth and his home later on. And, and we read also that when Peter, after the cross, came back and went back to his fishing business, because his wife and, and family had lived there when he was on this following mission, he went back there. This is What happens is when he says leaves everything, it means my identity is no longer caught up in my wealth and my power. It's no longer caught up in my shame and my guilt. I have a whole new identity. Matthew has a whole new identity. He's been given a whole new name, and he wants to live in this new name. And this new name is that he is God's. He's been called by God. And he is now made right by God. He doesn't have to live in shame. He doesn't have to live in guilt. He doesn't need power to make himself feel worthy. He doesn't need another title. He just says, God, here I am. What I have is yours. So do you know this new identity? And do you have things that God can use? And yes, you do. 
Because Matthew started thinking, well, I know a whole bunch of other tax collectors. You have friendships and you have connections, and there are people who, who need your love. Not only do you have friendships and connections, you have house and stuff. You can use things for God as well. You have income. Your income isn't your own. Even that, when you say our new identity is God, whatever I have is yours. And God says, I want you to enjoy this life. You know, go ahead. And he gives us parameters of what that looks like, but still use your wealth in ways that really help people connect to God. And here's the last thing, is you have talents and abilities. Matthew is so cool. The name he left behind was Levi, a really good religious name, but the name he took was the name Matthew. And you know what the name Matthew means? It means a gift. And Jesus basically said, I'm going to name you no longer Levi. I'm naming you Matthew, a gift, because you're going to be a gift to God. You're going to be a gift to me. You're going to be a gift to others around you. And guess what? You're going to be a gift to you, to me, people from ages to come. Because in your gospel, think about this. In the gospel of Matthew, it's the only place you have the Sermon on the Mount. What if we didn't have that teaching? What's the gift he's using? He was an accountant. He was, I think he took copious notes. In the gospel of Matthew, there are five major discourses, teachings of Jesus. He's the only one who has them. In the, in the Gospel of Matthew, you have the story of Joseph at the birth of Christ and the wise men. There's a, and, and he's a gift to you and to me. You have special gifts God has given you. Some have mercy. And God wants you to use that mercy at work. Some of you have the ability to explain things very clearly. And he wants you to use that in those places at work. God wants you to take your gift where you are. Because you're, listen, remember, your work is What? Oh, man, I failed in this whole message. (laughs) Your work is your mission field, and I think about it this way, and I'm going to ask the team to come. We're going to conclude the service. Think about this. If 89% of the people who turned off, switched off God when they go to Monday, I just heard a fact the other day. The Billy Graham Evangelistic Center on Wheaton said that if 17, catch this, if 17% of a congregation gets excited about sharing their faith and living their faith in an attractive way, it will create a tipping point and the whole church will move that way. I all of a sudden had to be 50%. If only 17% of us went tomorrow and made commitments and said, hey, I'm not going to turn it off. In fact, I'm going to like a rail set, start to learn how to get it brighter and brighter. Just think of the impact God would have in our world. I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to close. And I ask you to worship God as we close here.